Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. You can get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation by listening to the Heart Health Radio Network. And, of course, we're on at a funny time. Uh, we're broadcasting this on a Friday night. If you're listening on a Friday night, call us up, 919-860-9783. 919-860-9783. Dr. Franklin Weefald, how are you? I'm doing well. How about you, Dave? Good. Terrific. Um, you will be in the studio in, in, momentarily, I know. Uh, on tonight. On tonight's show, we're going to ask about a couple of things, including what does it mean when you get dizzy when you stand up? That has happened to me more times than I want to think about. But it doesn't happen every single time. We'll find out what's significant about that. Um, here's here's something with, uh, I think, probably the worst timing. GlaxoSmithKline and a company called Sanofi or Sanofi. Um Sanofi. Sanofi. They've come up with a new COVID-19 vaccine. Well, gosh, just in time. Um, And coffee is good for you again. Where do you want to start? Well, uh, I think the the vaccine uh, situation is uh, very interesting. It's unfortunate that the, the new vaccines that are coming out are coming out really at the end of the uh, pandemic. Yeah. But the one that I'm really excited about is one called Novavax. Have you heard of that thing? Yeah. So Novavax is made by a company in Gaithersburg, Maryland, where actually I grew up. Yeah. And um, it is different in the sense that it's um, a protein as opposed to an mRNA. Yeah. And I think it's going to be very exciting especially as an add-on vaccine to those people who've already had the Pfizer or the Moderna. And I think because it works in a different way, it may actually have a double benefit and give even more immunity. Now, nobody's going to know the answer to this question. I have already, I tested positive once uh, and took a week off of this radio show. So technically... I've had COVID. Do I need another shot of any type? Do you think I'm going to need, oh, he's in the studio. Come on in. Have a seat. Doctor, let me ask you, first of all, now that we solved the traffic issue, do I need another shot? I mean, I'm triple vaxxed. No, I mean, four shots? I don't know. Um, And I think that's going to depend upon... What's coming down the pike? Yeah. I mean, is there going to be another Omicron 2? They're already right. talking about a special Omicron variant that has arrived already in North Carolina. Um, but who knows? And I think one of the things that, that we've been taught is we can't make predictions. Good for and you. I think that's going to be up in the air. I mean, who who knows what's coming down the pike with COVID? And I think we ought to just uh, right now take our masks off. I mean, that, that's 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 yes. the biggest news, I think. Yeah. And tell me, I mean, it's today, right? Yeah. 
today so, at five o'clock. Happy I'll, mask off day. I'm 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 wishing everybody a happy mask day. For, for the tomorrow, I'm going to meet with a bunch of people I've only seen with masks on, you know, for the last two years. And my first question to them is going to be, "Who are you people?" <laughs> well, for me, it's going to be great. I can understand what you're saying. Yeah. And I, you know, that's one of the things that's really gotten me for two years. Yeah. I can't understand people because of my hearing impairment. So I can hear, but it's just discrimination and not being able to understand what people are saying. Yeah. And it's because of my high frequency hearing loss. So with a mask on, you might as well forget it. I mean, I'm not going to be able to have a conversation. Uh, well, so no. taking the mask off permanently, at least I hope permanently is going to make my situation understanding people so much better now do you under do you understand and support the rationale that the cdc used they they decided that they were going to change the way they decided when it was time and and they rather than just say oh we give up because i think we're almost to the point where you can say you know it doesn't matter Nobody's wearing masks anymore. Stop wearing masks. Right. And I don't know whether they have enough information to say what kind of masks are we going to have to have in the future, whether a mask is really going to make a difference based on the kind of variant we may have. I mean, clearly, we were all wearing masks, and Omicron just spread like wildfire. Right. So who knows? Uh, will it make a difference in the future when we have to wear masks in the future? I don't know. Okay. But I hope not. I want an answer to the question in just a moment. What does it mean when you get dizzy when you stand up? Orthostatic hypotension. And of course. One of the things that people need to know is that the one of the reasons why it's so hard to treat because hmm. doctors won't treat it. It is extremely frustrating. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll talk we'll about that in just a moment. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. 700. Listen to Heart Health Radio on Apple Podcasts or at hearthealthradio.com and on Spotify. Are we on Spotify? We're on Spotify. How yeah. did that happen? Um, I complained and we got on Spotify. That's, that's how it well, happened. I thought you had to be no. invited. No, you don't have to be invited. Other people are invited. We weren't invited. We invited ourselves. That's amazing. So, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All right. You're in the middle of this conversation about the... Uh, Orthostatic hypotension. That thing. It's it's a very difficult thing to treat. And um, it's actually uh, a big problem now post-COVID. Yeah. And what it is is that your blood pressure is either normal or high when you're sitting. Okay. And when you stand up, it drops. And sometimes it drops so quickly and it drops so low that mm-hmm. you don't stay conscious and you hit the ground. It can happen to people with diabetes, uh, especially because the glucose is being high, damaged nerves. So your feet, you know, were yeah. damaged. But it also damages what we call the autonomic nervous system. Now, what is that? That's a series of nerves that automatically control things. Uh, and one of those things is tightening up the arteries when you stand up, mm-hmm. moving blood from the legs as much as possible up into the body yeah. when you stand up to keep, maintain your blood pressure. So initially, everybody's blood pressure will drop a little bit, but then it recovers okay. as you stand up and move. Um, and I tell you, 
people with this problem can have a really tough time maintaining their daily activities of life. And the way you treat it is, is it's tough, especially if the blood pressure is high when you sit. Yeah. Because all the medicines that you give to try to keep the blood pressure high when you stand up will make that blood pressure sitting that much higher. Right. So I have a lot of people coming to see me about this problem. And why? Because yeah. doctors don't want to treat it because it's so frustrating. So what do you do? Oh, you have to drink a ton of water. I'm talking 10 glasses of water a day. Yeah. And you know what else you have to do is eat a ton of salt. And that's sort oh, of yeah. counterintuitive. Everybody thinks, oh, salt is really bad for you. Well, if your blood pressure is low, salt is one of the only things that's going to keep it up. Okay. Why is that? Because when you have more salt in your body, the salt draws water into the bloodstream. Right. And the more blood you have in your bloodstream, the higher your blood pressure can be maintained. Yeah. Now, the second thing you've got to do, well, third thing, a lot of salt, a lot of water. In fact, I recommend salt capsule. You can buy these on Amazon, believe it or not. Salt caps. Salt caps. And uh, the ones that I recommend the most um, are called salt sticks, and they have sodium and potassium in appropriate amounts. Sure. And I, three, six capsules, three, four times a day, along with 10 glasses of water. Now, sometimes that'll do it. Yeah. And that'll raise your intravascular volume, the blood volume, enough so that the blood pressure doesn't drop too much. The third thing is compression garments on your legs. Oh, now, yeah. Why is that? Because when you stand up, the blood goes to gravity, and it'll pool in your legs. Yeah. So if you have compression garments on, not as much blood can stay down there in your legs as okay. opposed to going up to the middle part of your body where your heart can use it to pump warm blood and maintain the blood pressure. Right. Problem is, a lot of people can't stand them. I mean, I, I can't tell them people. And I always say, if you're going to wear compression garments, go to a very good medical supply store. Yeah. Have them measured to fit. Now, why is that? Your lower ankle, your calf, it's all different on people. Sure. You know, some people are piano legs. And some people have calves that are that stand out. Yes. And if you don't have them measured, if you try to get them off the shelf, they won't do the job because there has to be a uniform squeeze. Yeah. Same amount of squeeze from the ankle up into the calf in order to get that blood up there. Now, what if that doesn't work? Well, you know, it's tough. One of the medicines that I use a lot is called Midodrine, M-I-D-O-D-R-I-N-E. And it's an alpha constrictor. Now, what does that mean? It actually constricts the arteries in your body. Sure. So, obviously, it's not for everyone. Mm -hmm. So, if you have, for example, um, bad blood flow, really bad blood flow to your fingers or to your legs, then what's going to happen if you take monitoring? It's going to constrict even more. But sometimes you have no choice. Now, believe it or not... Sometimes a common over-the-counter cold medicine, well, it's not over-the-counter anymore. It's Sudafed, pseudoephedrine. You have to get it now behind the counter, but it's not by prescription. You have to show your driver's license. And why is that? Because it's what the main ingredient for cooking methamphetamine is. So what happened, people used to go and buy the whole shelf off of the Sudafed. And the... What you can buy over the counter now is called phenylephrine. It's not the same. It just doesn't work. Right. And that's why Sudafed works on your nose. 
because the arteries in your nose are so uh, populous. You have so many. Right. That's when you squeeze them and, and constrict them. You can't get as much blood flow to produce the mucus in your nose. Okay. So that's how Sudafed works when you have the sniffles. When you have this thing called orthostatic hypotension, it constricts the arteries all over, and yeah. then that maintains your blood pressure. If that fails, we go to something called fludrocortisone. Now, what is that? That actually makes your kidney, it's a hormone, and it makes your kidney hold on to salt. And if your kidney holds on to salt instead of letting you excrete it in your urine, yeah. you're going to have more salt in your body, more blood volume, and you're going to have a higher blood pressure. Now, what if all those don't work? I don't know. It's tough. And there's a medicine called Northera, $8,000 a month. Yes. Yes, it's very tough. You have to get it approved by your insurance. It works very, very well. It yeah. is a a derivative. You know, it's chemically uh, very similar to adrenaline, okay, yeah. norepinephrine. And so it really constricts your blood vessels. Now, what happens if you take Florinef or fludrocortisone and mitadrine and salt capsules and a lot of fluid and your blood pressure is 120 over 70 when you stand up. Yeah. It could be 190 over 120 when you sit down. So what do you do? 190 over 120. That sounds high. That's a lot. I mean, yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. And so that's the same case with Northera. The good news is your blood pressure is good enough when you stand up, but you're not going to pass out. Sure. The bad news is it's incredibly high when you are sitting down. So you add a blood pressure medicine. What does that do? It counteracts the effect of everything you're you're doing to try to maintain the blood pressure standing and boom, you're on the floor again. So there are very specific medications that need to be prescribed for the high blood pressure sitting. Yeah. And those are two things. One is called a beta blocker or metoprolol. And what does that do? I take it. That, yeah, that helps to lower your blood pressure sitting so it doesn't drop too much standing. And it's a complicated um, mechanism. It involves beta-1 receptors, beta-2 receptors, et cetera. I won't go into it here. Good. But the other one, oh, be quiet. The other one is (laughs) clonidine. Okay, clonidine is a medication that often is used in the emergency room for emergency lowering of blood pressure. And it's called an alpha-2 agonist. Now, what does that mean? Uh, it means it lowers the amount of natural adrenaline, okay? Yeah. And when that happens, the blood pressure tends to drop when you're sitting. I can't tell you the number of people come to see me because they just can't get better. And it's a stepwise, very frustrating thing. So not only do diabetics get it, but also people with Parkinson's, okay? Right. That is actually one of the big problems in Parkinson's disease is this orthostatic hypotension. And a lot of times it's misdiagnosed. They think, well, he's got Parkinson's or she has Parkinson's and they fall down. Okay, maybe, and they think, well, it's because their muscles aren't working as well. It can restore life Mm -hmm. um, to people with Parkinson's disease who aren't um, bothered so much by the tremors and bothered so much by the dementia that can come on with it. Um, but they're passing out, and they think they're just falling due to muscular dis- sure. disorientation or you know discombobulation, as my dad used to say. So you have to find a doctor who's willing to go the, all n- the nine yards yeah. because you're going to come in the first visit, 
You're going to come in the second visit, yeah. not any better. You're going to come in the third visit, maybe a little better, but frustrated. Your doctor's going to be frustrated. Yeah. So when I see a patient with this, and I've seen about six of them post-COVID, yeah. and COVID is causing this to happen in people who've never had it before. Oh. And we don't quite understand the mechanism, inflammation of the nerves of the autonomic yeah. system, who knows. But it's incredibly frustrating for them. I had one young woman who was in high school. She was a catcher in the softball team. So yeah. what, is, what do catchers have to do? They squat. They have to squat. Yeah. And then they have to get up and run. Yeah. And and she was passing out on the way to first base. Not a good idea. Wow. Yeah, but she's much better now. All right, good. We're going to talk about honeybee venom and cancer. This, Ouch. Yeah, this, this can't be comfortable. But in any case, and also, by the way, if you started today with a cup of coffee, coffee's now good for you. And, you know, we're seeing more and more that it's always good. Now back to heart health. Have a question for Dr. Weefald? Call 919-860-9783. Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation by listening to the radio show, Heart Health Radio. You're talking about this this thing with the blood pressure. Yeah. What is that called again? Orthostatic hypotension. Okay. Now, I have a kidney doctor. I have a heart doctor. Actually, I have two, if you count the surgeon who did the work on me. But I've got a, a cardiologist, I've got a nephrologist, I've got a GP, and I've got uh, at least two other doctors. Really? I wouldn't have the slightest idea who to go to for that problem. Okay, now here's the interesting thing. One of the reasons why is because nobody <laughs> treats it. I think it's really a cardiologist problem. But okay. you know who else treats it is neurology. All right. And how do you wind up getting to one of those doctors? Because you pass out. Right. So passing out for a cardiologist, the first thing you think of is an electrical disturbance. Either your heart goes too slow right. and you need a pacemaker, or it goes too fast and you need to have cardioversion. Yeah. What I said was it goes too fast and, and you, you need, need to a have cardioversion. Cardi yeah. you know. But it turns out that they wear this monitor to look for slow or fast. Yeah. There's nothing. And then they're passing out, and it's normal, 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 hit the ground. And then they hit the ground. And have you, when you've been to your doctor yeah. as a diabetic, how many times have they checked your blood pressure standing up? Never. I always they do. Never. It. Anybody who complains of dizziness, yeah. first thing I do, maybe the second thing I do, is stand up. Yeah. Take their blood pressure. And... <laughs> One time. And some people get so used to it being so low when they stand up yeah. that it only causes them to faint when it gets really low. I had this person, you know, sitting down and they said, yeah, you know, it, it happens every now and then. Like if the phone's ringing yeah. and I'm on the couch and nobody answers the phone. Yeah. So I get up, run and pass out. Aha. So yeah. they sit down and it's 130 over 70. They stand up and it's 110. Yeah. And then I keep them standing. Yeah. And it's 90. And then a little bit later on, you know, 30 seconds later, it's 60 on top. I say, why don't you sit down for yeah, me now that's a good before idea. I have to grab a hold of you? And so um, the neurologists sometimes uh, see these people because dizziness could be from your brain. Sure. A uh, brain tumor or you've had a stroke. People are always worried about that when yeah. you're dizzy. And rightfully so. But I tell you, um, it's hard to find a doctor who will take care of that problem. Now, if you're listening and you're dizzy, 
Yeah. Don't think that that's necessarily what you have. But if you go in and your doctor is like, you know, looking at you and he or she is, you know, fur- furrowing their brow. Yeah. Trying to figure it out. You can say, uh, hey, uh, could you shave my blood pressure standing up? And the, the, one of the problems will be. Yeah. The doctor will look you in the eye and say, I haven't taken a blood pressure in <laughs> 40 years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how many of your doctors have checked your blood pressure? None of personally. them. Personally. None of I them. I do it every on every patient. Yeah. So See, I'll have my medical assistant right. hook him up to the machine and, you know, push the button and check it. But I always come in and talk to him first, and then I get a blood pressure. All right. Let's talk to Robert in Apex. Hi, Robert. How you doing? How are you guys? Hey. We're good. What's going on? Well, I had a question. So, uh, like five years ago, I was diagnosed. Here's what they said. COPD severe level three. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so now when I go to my primary care, she writes down chronic airway obstruction. Okay. Is that the same? Sure. So uh, when I was growing up, uh, at Johns Hopkins, uh, COPD was called COLD. Really? Yeah, chronic obstructive lung disease. Okay. But then you would say, oh, this is a patient with COLD or cold, and they go, what are you talking about? He's got a cold. You know, we're Johns Hopkins physicians, you know? But what this means about your lungs is They're that, bad. yeah, obstructive pulmonary disease. What does that mean? Obstructive airways disease. It's the same thing. So when you take a deep breath, the lungs relax and they open up to allow the air to flow in. Now, that's a passive movement. What does that mean? It means your lungs are sealed inside of your chest. And when your diaphragm moves down into the gut, it literally lowers the pressure inside your lung and the air flows in passively right right right. well when the diaphragm relaxes then that pressure what we call intrathoracic pressure uh goes up and the air flows out so it's basically going in in a vacuum and flowing out because the pressure goes up yeah so what i was getting to is that the obstruction part is on the way out not the way in. Yeah. Now, you can have obstruction on the way in, but that's so totally I'm different. I'm pretty good when I'm up and everything. Uh-huh. But in the mornings, I cough up basically chunks of phlegm. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. Were you, let me ask you a question, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing if you were, but were you a smoker? Uh, still am, unfortunately, and yeah. I've smoked since sixth grade, and I'm uh, so... 55 years of smoking. Yeah, and that's tough. And listen, you, I, we both down, know, you and I yeah, both know we should quit smoking. Brand, but I'm still lighting up. Yeah. Well, let me let me tell you what happens. When you smoke, it damages the uh, lung tissue, okay? And there are all sorts of reparative mechanisms, and people who can smoke and not have lung disease, they repair the injury better. But when your lungs have been injured, they lose that elasticity. And so they don't relax as much uh, when you're breathing out and the Mm -hmm. air can't get out. Mm -hmm. That's why when you breathe in and when you breathe out, there is a ratio, I to E, inspiratory to expiratory. And it should be one-to-one. But if you have... COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or obstructive airways disease, OAD, 
the air can't get out as well. And then the... I've smoked so long, would it even benefit me to stop? Yes, and let me tell you why. Um, The injury keeps coming on, and it sounds like you have the second part of COPD, which is inflammation, and the lungs are being inflamed by the smoke, and what happens when, when you get inflamed? You produce mucus, and so what's happening in your lungs in the morning is all that mucus is accumulated, and you have to cough it out in the morning. So yeah. if you quit now, you may not regain much elasticity, but the amount of inflammation will go down, and all that muck that you have to cough up should okay. get better. Can I add one other question? This was sure. Ask me a bunch. Sure. Yeah. I made me a heart. Are you there? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So it was like in 2005, I had a catheter ablation of my heart. Okay. Was your heart like it was successful at the time? I had like five pathways in my AV node, uh huh, and they zapped them or whatever they did. Sure, okay, right, right. But now, when they did, I went to my primary care, so they did an EKG and all that. But they're saying possible tachycardia because my heart rate's running like between 100 and 110. Yeah. Okay, so it sounds like you would have sudden rapid heartbeats before. Is that right? Supraventricular yeah, tachycardia. Yeah, really bad, like 210, yeah. in the, like switching on the light switch. Right. So what that is is an extra electrical pathway. Sometimes you can have two or three, and it five. short circuits the area so that, that, yeah, so you have five of them. That's a lot. But yeah. they short circuit. So instead of electricity flowing in a regular fashion from the top to the bottom, it pauses in the middle and then goes down to the bottom normally. Well, you would have leakage of the electricity through one of these pathways to go right back up to the top, mm-hmm. right back down to the bottom. Boom, boom, this boom, 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 boom. to my question. Yeah. So yeah. if they say 110 or 100 to 110, right, and that could be possible tachycardia, because when I had tachycardia, I felt like I was running 10 miles. My right. My feel on fire and everything. Do you think that could be causing my lungs to feel this way too? Well, here, here's the chicken or the egg, the lung or the heart. Your SVT or your tachycardia, they went up your leg and they zapped and burned those five pathways. They went up on two sides yeah. of my legs and right. one down my neck. Yeah. And so then that's basically not what's happening now. I can't diagnose you over the phone. Okay. No, that's okay. Curious. But, but what happens when your lungs get bad is it strains the right side of your heart mm-hmm. because the, the with the lungs not emptying of oxygen, the pressure builds up, and that pressure could be translated to the right side of the heart. And you could have one of two things, um, either sinus tachycardia, where you're, you're beating in a regular fashion just fast because your lungs are weak, or you could have something that people don't know about that much, multifocal atrial tachycardia or MAT, and that's when the right side of the heart has been weakened and multiple areas start to beat. And so you have one beat from the top, one beat from the bottom, and it can go really fast. Don't worry, I'm not having a spell right Uh, now. I cough too. Uh, I'm worried about both of you. Bottom line, I should quit smoking. Well, yeah, the bottom line is you quit smoking, but the other thing, 
is you should have somebody read that EKG <coughs> who is familiar with the possible heartbeat problems, electrical problems, and people with well, they COPD. didn't say I had heartbeat problems. They said possible tachycardia, and that was only because it read 110. Yeah, so 110 is more of the lines of the sinus tachycardia or just, you know, speedy, spe- sped up heartbeat because of the lung disease. But there are different ways that we treat if you have this thing called multifocal atrial tachycardia. So ask your doctor. Maybe they can uh, zap the EKG over to a cardiologist and see if that's what you have. Robert, thank thank you. Thank you for your advice. Okay. Well, listen, call us anytime. All right. Take care. Get a lot of people who just, they've smoked for 50 years. Yeah. My mother, let me tell you, and and the medical board is not going to like me saying this. Okay. But there are people who smoke 70 pack years. You know, that a pack year is one pack per day for a year. All right. And so, you know, 50 pack years is really where they say you're going to, you know, have crummy lungs. Sure. My mother smoked two packs a day for 70 years. So probably 140 pack years. Wow. And she died at 92 of Alzheimer's. Yeah. And her lungs were fine. So, and then... You know, uh, I have a great patient named Roger Alquist, who I can tell you right now because he's been on the show. I can talk about his health problem. He has something called alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency. So what does that mean? It means that one of the reparative enzymes or proteins in his lungs that helps to repair any damage that happens. And our lungs are damaged every breath. Sure. Okay, by particulate matter, by, you know, smoke. Uh, by Dave's body odor. I mean, you know, our lungs get damaged and then they quickly repair each other. Well, he doesn't have that repair mechanism. So Mm. he got COPD, he got bad lungs, and he's 22. Oh, my. So we're all different. And I definitely say smoking is really one of the worst things you can do for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, But some people get sick from it and some people don't. But you're much more likely to get lung cancer, to get COPD, Emphysema is another word they call it. Sure. Um, and, it, you know, five cigarettes a day is like living in New York City. That's about what it's like. So if you, you know, live in Wyoming and you yeah. smoke five cigarettes a day, you might as well live in downtown Manhattan. Yeah. But more than that, uh, really, it exponentially increases your risk of having severe lung disease. Right. And having lung cancer, which is not something you want. Lung cancer is terrible. All right. Just a terrible thing. We're going to shout out a young kid who is beating the odds. Oh That's my gosh, coming yes. up on this program, Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Well, you know you make me want to kick my heels up and down, throw my hands up and down, throw my head back and down. Come on this is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Who is this kid? What's his name? Well, I'm looking at his picture now, and he's just, it's just a fascinating story. And I think that it, it's really going to affect um, how we look at one of the greatest um, questions, political questions, health questions that we have, right. and that's abortion. Because when you think about it, when, you know, 1973, Roe versus Wade, right. I mean, 28 year week olds barely survived. And by that, I mean normal gestation is 40 weeks. So if you had a baby in 1973 born at 28 weeks, mm-hmm. it most likely was not going to survive. We didn't have the ventilator um, knowledge back then. Uh, we didn't have the knowledge of 
fighting uh, these uh, lung problems that babies had. You know, John F. Kennedy's third child, Patrick Kennedy, mm-hmm. was born, I think, at 30 weeks, maybe 32 weeks, and mm. he died mm. uh, because the premature uh, lung tissue um, could not uh, stand uh, being exposed to oxygen. It didn't right. have what's called surfactant. Well, as we have progressed, it's amazing. And we have now the smallest baby to ever survive uh, being born prematurely. And um, his name is, or uh, her name, I'm sorry, uh, Jerry, J-A-R-I. And 11.5 ounces. Now, we're both drinking. I'm drinking Mountain Dew. What are you drinking? Uh, Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew, yeah. So one can of Mountain Dew is 12 ounces. And uh, it's a boy. Yeah, it's a boy. I'm sorry. Jerry, J-A-R-I. And 11.5 ounces. Lighter than a, a loaf of bread. Okay. A soda can. And Buy a 12-ounce soda. Now, yeah. it that's 12 ounces, liquid ounces, but yeah. it also happens to weigh yeah, 12 just ounces. about what just this kid weighed. Now he, it, Jerry, he was born at 22 weeks. Now, think about it. Yeah. I mean, that's almost half the gestational period. Your baby stays in there for about 40 weeks. Yeah. And- it's incredible. I mean, you should see the pictures of this little boy in the incubator. Right. I mean, I mean, they've got him on the ventilator. Yeah. They've got a little teeny weeny plastic catheter through the belly button. Oh my God. Called an umbilical catheter to to keep him alive. Right. And they actually could use his gut uh, early on to feed him, and he survived. Now. He's not even wearing glasses. Now, how do I say that? Because the prematurity and oxygen needed um, can make you develop severe eye problems. And so that's one of the big problems. His lungs are fine. I mean, it's just a miracle. And so we get to this point where we say, what's viability? And viability now is getting lower and lower and lower. And you know what they're looking into now? Hmm. Artificial wombs. So there are a bunch of... Uh, scientists, physicians, physician scientists, who have developed an artificial womb. Yeah. And they have taken um, lambs that are eight weeks, ten weeks. Yes. So they're formed, maybe 12 weeks, but obviously they're they're dependent upon, you know, the umbilical stuff, you know, the umbilical artery feeding them and giving them oxygen. They have developed these sacs where they put in fluid and then they take the uh, umbilical artery and hook it up to a machine. And it's like the heart-lung machine that you see in ECMO. You know, uh, we've heard a lot about ECMO with, you know, COVID replacing the lungs that don't work. Yeah. And they sort of add the proteins and everything else into the mixture. They have now brought those lambs to full maturity and mm. they've lived. So what are we going to say now when you can take... The tiniest little baby. Right. And if they perfect these artificial wombs for humans, when is when is when do we when do we say it's too early? As long as it's not Elon Musk <laughs> doing this. And and they're not gonna put chips in these people. They're not gonna put chips in. Yeah. All righty. Uh coffee is now good for you again. What did they just decide? Well, what they've decided is that the caffeine in coffee. Yeah promotes heart health. Now, how does that yeah. happen? Okay. 
it also you know you know what they used to do before they had all these fancy medicines for asthmatics no tell them to have a couple cups of coffee a day really because caffeine is a vasodilator and it also dilates lung tissue yeah so there was a medicine we used to use a lot theophylline and that was a medicine you give intravenously or you take by pill yeah and it's falling out of favor. I, I guess I need to talk to a pulmonologist why. Maybe it caused the heart to race too much. I don't know. Maybe it didn't work as well mm-hmm. as some of our other medicines. But you'd have a cup of coffee or you'd take this medicine called theophylline. Well, it turns out that the caffeine also helps to open up the arteries to the heart. So your coronary arteries respond to caffeine. Yeah. And as long as you don't overdo it you can have caffeine toxicity like you can have toxicity from anything yeah so how many uh grams of caffeine in a normal cup of coffee we, you you should know this no idea in a normal cup of coffee it's 80 not grams milligrams okay? 80 milligrams in a cup see of here's coffee. here's the thing you're asking yeah. me how many milligrams are in a cup of coffee i don't know how big a milligram is uh, so it, well a milligram is teeny weeny Teeny weeny, okay. okay. So, right. I mean, think of your medicines. You probably, your metoprolol dose is probably, what, 25 or 50 milligrams? Could be, yeah. sure. So this is 80 milligrams of caffeine in a normal cup of coffee, which means if you go to Starbucks and you have uh, one of their, what's it, lentes? Yeah. Or what's, I can't stand it. Why don't they just say small, medium, or large? Really big. Yeah. yeah. So it's 200 in a really big one. Okay. Oh, good. And so if you have a large or lente or massive lente uh, cup of coffee at Starbucks, that's 200 milligrams. Yeah. You know what my five-hour energy has in it? I have no idea. Well, the regular five-hour energy has about 120. Oh. But that's not good enough for me. No. I got to no. go for the extra strength. Yeah. And that's 200 milligrams. 200 milligrams. Now, the difference is, I don't know if you chug your coffee, but you you know, usually a cup of coffee is in, imbibed in, what, 20 minutes? I can't stand it. But I, I, when I get a cup of coffee, it's too hot. Yeah. You know, so I put it down. When I come back to it, it's too cold. So I started just chugging a five-hour energy, and it goes down right away, and it hits you right away. Now, all these energy drinks have gotten a bad name. They'll kill you. Yeah. Oh, my God. You read about that kid who got killed by drinking an energy drink? Not by drinking an energy drink. No. By drinking 20 of them. Yeah, and, of play, them. and playing video games for 23 hours right. and not eating. And that's called caffeine toxicity. Yeah. And, you know, don't drink 20 energy drinks. Drink one or at most two a day. Now, if you're going to have, I know people who get three or four of these huge Starbucks things. Yeah. Not, yeah. only, not only is that drain your bank account, yeah. but you're going to get 800 milligrams of caffeine over four days. I mean, over over four cups. And so I get 200 in the morning and about three or four o'clock when I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really that tired. I just want one. Sure. And I do another one. That's no different than having a large cup of Starbucks coffee. So everything in moderation. Okay. Yeah. Now, you know what the, the, the problem with some of these energy drinks are? Like... Um, what these college kids will do. Yes. And a Red Bull. Yes. They'll add vodka to it. Yes, they will. And then they think they can get drunk without being tired. That is a yep. really bad idea. Yep. You don't want to mix caffeine and alcohol at the same time. Tell that to the Irish coffee people. There's a there's a, a tea and lemonade. The Jack Nicholas? Nope. Yeah? Nope. Yeah. Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer. All right. It's called Sorry. the Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer. You know if you put... 
You know, if you put vodka in it, you know what it's called? No. John Daly. <laughs> it's basically, basically, you know, and that's what they're doing. They're putting and you alcohol. Have to smoke, you have to smoke a cigarette at the same while time. you're doing it. You're, while you're doing it, yeah. Anyway, so there's a bunch of people who are complaining now. That they've got a heart problem, but their doctor's putting them on diabetes medicine. Yeah, that's like whoa. What is it? Because medicines cross over. Uh, medical specialties sure. and they are good for more than one thing. All right. So for example, the best uh, most heralded um, and praised weight loss medicine is a diabetes medicine. Yeah. Wegovy. Mm-hmm. And one of the best heart failure medicines, and I'm not saying it's better than the others, but it works really well, is a diabetes medicine. And one of the medicines that can lower your risk of having a heart attack, if you've had one already, is a diabetes medicine. And I'm not sure we have enough time to go into details right now. You got about one minute. We got about one minute. Okay. So, Jardians. Mm-hmm. It's a medicine that really works well for diabetics. It lowers uh, their risk of having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. The way it works is by making your kidney redu- re- release the urine, excuse me, release the sugar in yeah. your urine. Yeah. This glucose transport, your body tries to pull extra sugar out of the urine so you can use it for energy. This medicine prevents that. And so your urine becomes sweet because it has more sugar in it. Mm-hmm. Well, not only does that reduce your risk of a heart attack, but it's used in heart failure now. I'm not quite sure of the mechanism, but if you have heart failure where your heart doesn't pump well enough to get the blood moving around and your legs swell up and you get short of breath, the doctor's going to possibly and probably prescribe this medicine, Jardians. And you'll say, wait a minute. You know, you go home and you read the package insert. It says for diabetes. I'm not diabetic. All right. So ask your doctor. All right. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Another hour coming up. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. This is Heart Health Radio. You can get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation just by continuing to listen. Thank you. Uh, honeybee venom and cancer, a cardiology whistleblower. We'll hear these stories, and he and he did it without a whistle. And the, if you've if you've been treated at a hospital, you get a surprise bill. Doctor Weefault's got some advice for you, and a story about a local hospital. But first, Karen in Raleigh. How you doing, Karen? Welcome to the show. You're welcome. What's going on? Um, I have uh, been diagnosed as having a weak spot in my carotid artery. Yes. Okay. And they and they they say that it probably comes from having cholesterol, and that had made the weak spot. Sure. So, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Do, do you think, did they use the word aneurysm? 
Karen, did they call it an aneurysm? Yeah, they said it could cause an aneurysm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. They, and and uh, it you know it, it could cause several things to happen. Yeah. But I went to a vascular doctor at UNC. Okay. The Good doctor walked, walked into the room, said, "Oh, you're a smoker," and uh, and I said, "Yes, I am." And uh, he said, well, um, you need to quit. And, uh, of course, I know that, you know. And, uh, I mean, just he was just nasty from the get-go. Oh, man. So um, I didn't like him. I didn't like him at all. He stayed in there about 10 minutes, and he said that, well, if you hurt in the bottom of your stomach or if you hurt down in the calves of your legs, come back and see him. Really? All right. Really? So, That's- so Karen, I'm going to translate for the doctor because I'm not sure he's hearing this. The, first of all, you had a bad interaction with the doctor. I heard that. The yeah. doctor. And then he said, if you have a pain where in the belly oh, I or get in it. the I, leg. I know why he said that. Okay. Right, tell me. It, it sounds like the doctor you went to really wasn't focused on you. And sort of just had some preconceived notions <clears throat> because you had a, you were a smoker. All right, let's talk about what an aneurysm is, okay? The artery right. is, yeah, the artery is not just a, a hard tube. It is an organ. It's nice and soft and squishy, but it also has to maintain its uh, integrity in the in the with the assault of that rapid flow of blood. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big pressure. It increases the pressure as the blood flows through, and it has what's called connective tissue surrounding the artery to keep it from expanding too much. Well, when you have cholesterol buildup in the artery, it can sort of wedge its way through that connective tissue, Mm -hmm. and then there's a bulge. So you and I grew up in the days where there were uh, tube tires. Now we have tubeless tires, Yeah. right? And so, you ever see a tire where there was a bulge on the side and it was like bulging out? Mm-hmm. Well, that's because there's a weakness in that two ply, you know, steel belt. Yeah. And it allowed the tube on the inside to push its way out. Well, that's what an aneurysm is, but it's in your artery. So, they got to watch it carefully for you because, number one, when it gets to be a certain size, you don't want it to burst. Um, and also, blood can swirl within that weakening and clot, and then those little clots can break off and go to your brain. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have an aneurysm in your carotid artery, which are the one of the arteries that feeds blood to your brain, so it's in your neck and then up below your jaw, you can have one in the aorta, in the abdomen. And that's actually more common, and that's called a AAA, not the American Automobile Association, mm-hmm. but an abdominal aortic aneurysm. And so... I don't think I would have told you to wait until you're having pain because that's too late, okay? When you start having pain from an aneurysm, that means it's going to rupture. So you should also have an ultrasound of your abdomen and find out if how big that, that uh, aorta is to, to make sure that you're not going to progress to the stage where it's real dangerous. I mean, I've had people that came in to see me from belly pain and they'd been to the... 
uh, GI doctor. They've been to the urologist looking for a reason for belly pain. Yeah. And I put my stethoscope on their belly and hear this whooshing sound, put my hands next to their umbilicus or their belly button, and I could feel this like balloon expanding. Well, that was like six, seven centimeters of aneurysm, where the normal size of an aorta is about three centimeters. So um, ask your primary physician or whoever diagnosed your carotid weakening to, to get an ultrasound uh, or a CT scan, some radiologic image of your abdominal aorta to make sure that's okay. Now, Karen, let me jump in, if you don't mind, for just a moment, because I'm getting a disconnect here. What's that? She's got a, a weak spot in her carotid artery. Right. You pointed to your neck. Right. What Does that increase the possibility right. of... Uh, you can have an aneurysm. An aneurysm. If you have one okay. in your carotid artery, that means you have a generalized weakness of the connective tissue to allow that to happen. So, so, so elsewhere, and, there could and also be Smokers yeah. can have an increased risk of aneurysms everywhere but especially in the abdomen. So that's what I should have told you. Yeah, because right. you have one in the carotid artery and you smoke, you have a higher risk of having one in your abdomen. And that's why the guy was saying, well, if you start to hurt, give me a call. That's pretty dumb. All right, Karen, I don't think you're, I don't think you needed that information. I think you need this information. Uh-oh. Does she need to seek someone else? I think you should get a second opinion and have somebody really go over your carotid arteries and yeah. explain it to you in a better way and then and then examine you and see if there's any other vascular problem. I mean, the whole point is, is that if you have something in your carotid artery, you could yeah. have it in your belly. You could have heart artery problems. Right. And it sounds like, you know, you need to have somebody work you over head to toe. See, the, the real thing with Karen... I think. What's that? She got to, you got to feel like you're going to fire whoever is not treating you right. Well, and, and, and even if they, if the doctor doesn't feel like he or she is treating, is mistreating you. Yeah. If you feel like you're not getting what you need, there are plenty of doctors out there. Right. And don't think that if, you know, your family physician refers you to Dr. XYZ, that you have to honor that and keep going to Dr. Right. XYZ. Get a second opinion. Karen, did you hear all that? Because I know you, you dropped off the line for just a second. Uh, yes, I, I didn't hear everything. I, I had to call back. Oh, that's, that's okay. Right. But uh, with this, this uh, doctor is in the UNC system. Uh -huh. And so I went back to my primary care doctor, yeah. which is in the UNC system. And he said uh, that we would um, keep having the um, dye put in my veins. You know, they did that. Yeah. And go back and have that every six months. Ooh. I'm not really happy with that either. Yeah. They can do it a different way. Again, I'm not diagnosing you over the phone. But if I had a patient like you, <clears throat> there's something called a CT angiogram where you can do it with a right. yeah a dye in your in your vein and it goes up yeah. in there and take a CT scan. I think I would have to see what your ultrasound looked like to see whether it needs to be, you know, checked that frequently. Right. Um, but no one ever did an ultrasound 
but they put the dye in, done the CT scan. Yeah. But see, one thing that they did not check, and that was my neck, because on the right-hand side of my neck, every now and then, it starts just sobbing. Ooh. Hmm. Well, yeah. that needs to be looked at. Because that could yeah. be a sign of, of uh, weakness in that artery, too. Karen, uh, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thank well, you very much. Good luck. And you know yeah. what? Uh, hang on. Get your phone number because I want to talk to you off the air. And maybe we can get uh, some way to get a second opinion for you. All right. Thank you, Karen. We're going to talk about honeybee venom cancer treatment, which involves honeybee venom. Uh, new guidance for cholesterol medicine. In other words, you may be suggested to have cholesterol medicine, a statin maybe. Yeah, the, the biggest concern is who needs it and who doesn't, and how do you decide? And that's coming up. Also, a uh, shout-out and a lot more. And I learned something. Umbilicus? Umbilicus. Umbilicus? Yeah. Like uncle, what is that? Uh, does your uncle like us? Is that my... That's your belly button. My belly button is called the umbilicus. Yeah, and then you have an umbilical hernia, which is a hernia around your umbilicus. I could, all right. Yeah. Umbilicus. All right. Uh, I learn you know, something hey. every week. Get better, stay healthy, and spawn medical misinformation just by listening to this show, Heart Health Radio. <laughs> I can name that tune. I can name that tune. You're listening to Heart Health Radio. Acres is the place to be. <laughs> Fine living is the life for me. Yeah. Land spreading out so far and wide. Yeah. Keep Manhattan, just give me that countryside. See, now, I always took you as a Marcus Welby kind of guy, but you were no. Green Acres. Oliver, Oliver, you know, let me tell you, that's the golden age of television. It really was. I mean, think yes. about it. Yes. And you know who my favorite character on that show was? Who? Arnold Ziffel. Arnold Ziffel. You know who Arnold Ziffel was? That the he pig? was the pig. Yes. And you know the problem now is? What? They've har- they're harvesting his organs for a human <laughs> trash. <laughs> All right. So the reason we're playing the tune is because there's a shortage of doctors in rural areas. And guess what they're doing? What? They are now offering huge bonuses for city physicians to move out to the country. Now, I never realized this, but I'm one of them. Sure. I live in Raleigh. Yeah. Uh, and I practice in beautiful downtown Smithfield. Yeah. Now, I used to live on a farm. Have you ever heard of McGee's Crossroads? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, I know just it well. amazing. Uh, and I, I, you know, got divorced and I moved into the city and I still practice in Johnston County. Now, to me, it's so fascinating that 20 minutes away, yeah. I get a bonus for practicing there. So uh, every quarter, Medicare sends me a little bit of a bonus check because the patients that I see, a lot of them live within a zip code yeah. that is classified as rural and underserved yes. by the federal government. Yes. And so now they're trying to get people who have been practicing in the city for a long time to go on out and enjoy the countryside, you know, keep Manhattan. Just give me that country practice. And it's working. And you want to know why? Why? The physicians who are doing that have been surveyed. 
and they say it's work-life balance. Yeah. Work-life balance. And my my work-life balance is no different from any other city physician. It might be even might be even harder. Yeah. Because you know, I I have a tendency to connect um viscerally with a lot of my patients and you know, some people who are treated by city selector physicians who mm-hmm. are country people are not are not treated well. They're not right. considered um, to be, I don't know, uh, as worthy. Karen, so for exa- Karen could hear that yeah. in the doctor's yeah, voice. Yeah. And so, you know, a Southern accent does not mean you're stupid. And that's f- the furthest thing from the truth. Right. It's a different way of speaking. It's a different dialect. It's the way you were brought up. Right. But I remember going to certain hospitals in, in Raleigh and taking my Smithfield patients and, and hearing the Snickers, um, mm. and I'm not talking about the candy bars, uh, from, you know, staff members at these hospitals. Not everybody. It was very rare. And so um, I love practicing in Smithfield. Yeah. Uh, they're really, in fact, if you don't know this, what? Um, you know, I, I have this pedigree, and I was practicing in Indiana outside of Chicago, and I got recruited to come to the Triangle area to come home again because I trained at Duke. And they went out to South Bend, Indiana. And I was recruited for Cary, mm-hmm. the highfalutin, you know, uh, concentrated area of relocated Yankees. You you would have fit well. Well, you know, let me in tell you what group. happened. No, sure. let me tell you what happened. So I get here. Yeah. And they're bragging about the practice and how diversified it is. And they were snickering. Uh. We even have an office in <laughs> Smithfield. And when I was at Duke... I moonlighted in order to pay my mortgage. So moonlighting back then, you could work in emergency rooms. Now you have to be board certified to work in a a board certified in emergency medicine Mm -hmm. to work in an emergency room. Well, I would leave the Duke, uh, Mr. Dukes at uh, five o'clock on a Friday night, having worked all day and head out to Johnston Memorial, as it used to be called. Now it's UNC Health Johnston or something like that. And I'd work in this little ER, and it had the tile, the green tile walls. Mm. And they had, you know, the rooms were not rooms. They were, you know, behind the curtain. Yeah. And it was great. You wouldn't believe what I learned, because I had to. It was flying by the seat of my pants. And, you know, it's very interesting. (laughs) That was in 1987. I worked there till 1991 on the yep. weekends. Yeah. And then I came back, and a lot of the same docs were there. Yeah. And it was great. It was a great introduction. And a lot of the nurses who worked in the ER. Now, the ER there is beautiful. I mean, let me tell you. Mm. You go to Johnston Memorial. I'm going to still call it that. It's UNC Johnston. They got a new hospital. Eh, it's not that new. It's 10 years old. Mm-hmm. It's spectacular. Yeah. And the emergency room is as uh, up-to-date and modern as any other. But back then, I knew that I was in a rural area by looking at the ambulance. Okay? Yeah. You remember uh, Ghostbusters? <laughs> that was the ambulance. <laughs> and it really was a Cadillac. I could see it, yes. And the driver of that ambulance was the nicest guy in the world. And he became my patient. <laughs> and he just passed probably three years ago. Oh, my. Yeah, he had heart attacks and a pacemaker and diabetes and uh, the best comb over I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> okay. I mean, every time I saw him, I thought to myself, how long does that take him? <laughs> it was a professional comb over, but I loved it. 
And it's a yeah. lot. It's a lot different now. I mean, Johnson County is was and from not 2010 to 2020 the fastest growing county in North Carolina. Yes. And Clayton, yep. they have a mnemonic now for Clayton, um, like Cary, concentrated area of relocated Yankees. Yeah. But I, Clayton, like you know something wanting to be Clayton, right? You know, I mean, wanting to be Cary, like you know Cary, like something, but. Um, if you haven't been to Johnson County, if you haven't driven around, don't think that 70, uh, Route 70, you know, the, not the business 70, right. and business 70, not the bypass 70. As you drive in to Smithfield, it's not the most attractive place in mm-hmm. there. Uh, a lot of used car lots, uh, you know, there's some biker bars that i've never been into and mm-hmm. then you cross over the bridge and you're in downtown smithfield yeah. but i like to tell people it's like new jersey okay mm-hmm. if you're on the new jersey turnpike yeah you got a bad bad feeling about new jersey <laughs> just before you get to manhattan right yeah sure why well, it's all the chemical places and everything else like that i loved living in johnson county yeah and the people are wonderful and um i highly recommend it uh clayton is growing and even Smithfield is growing, and now they're gonna they're gonna turn seventy bypass into a super highway. Uh, it's got future. I can't remember what it is. Highway forty something or other. Yeah. So it's growing, and it's gonna be big. And um, rural healthcare is uh, the place to be. Sure. Okay. Da, 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 da. All right. There's some story about cardiologist whistleblower. Yeah. Letting bad. people know about what yeah. happened. Okay, um, I'm going to be very careful how I say this. I yeah. knew a physician who put in pacemakers. Yeah. yeah. And he only put in one type of pacemaker, just one. Okay. Bet you can't eat just one. Anyway, uh, I'm silly today. Uh, it was, I'm not going to name the brand, and I'm not going to name the physician. Uh-huh. And I kept thinking to myself, geez, you know, 20 years, and he's only put in this one brand. Yeah. Turns out. Yeah. That maker of that pacemaker gave him about $200,000 a year to do quote-unquote research. Oh. And what was the research? Oh. Putting in his can. We call them <laughs> cans, okay? I mean, there's lots of slam. Sure. So pacemaker or defibrillator, it's a little can. So, you know, you slam in the can. And and turns out um, it was kind of dicey. Because, you know, yeah, he'd write some things up and say, you know, this is the patient. I put in this kind of pacemaker. We're going to follow him along, and then we're going to write up a research report and send it to the company. Yeah. Well, now, a days, that's kind of frowned on. Sure. Um, yeah. So there's something called a kickback statute. Yes. And what happened was uh, a major medical center uh, got, like, a $5 million fine. Yeah. And what was the fine? They were giving cardiologists $10,000 to do, quote-unquote, coverage over the weekend. So that means that they would, quote-unquote, cover for unassigned cardiology patients, and the hospital would give them 10000 bucks, And they had to refer their patients to that hospital. Uh-huh. So the ones that they had in their office that needed a heart catheterization or a pacemaker or something like that, they had two choices, three choices of hospital. 
They only used that one hospital. Yes. Now, what was the reason why they got caught? Because it was above market compensation. Yeah. Nobody pays $10,000 to a cardiologist to cover the weekend. And so they got caught. And the, the thing that you need to know if you're a consumer of healthcare is why are you getting this? Okay. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of things that are like tests, okay? And the biggest scam out there now is the uh, genetic test, okay? Mm-hmm. So there are situations where they pay physicians to be scientific advisors. And then they get money if you get your cheek swabbed for a genetic test. So always ask yourself, and don't mistrust your doctor because 99% of them are good. All right. Why are you getting this particular thing? We'll talk more about that because you've inspired me to ask you a question, but okay. uh, that's coming up in just a moment. This is um, Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network. Welcome to Heart Health with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783. Listen to Heart Health Radio on Apple Podcasts or at uh, hearthealthradio.com or even on Spotify. Um, So you were talking about, and and this goes back to a phone call we had. Uh, I think it was Karen. She said that, you know, her doctor is with this system. Yes. And then she she got referred to a regular, another doctor, a specialist Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. within that system. Do I have to do that? No. And, okay, I'll take it back in certain ways. Um, the the insurance companies are hooking up with different uh, healthcare systems. Yeah. And it's getting kind of dicey. Mm-hmm. So if you want, for example, to go to healthcare system A, yeah. and you're going to pick an insurance plan, you got to ask that insurance agent, are you sure that I can go to healthcare system A? Right. Uh, and they'll say yes, but they may not be telling you the truth. Something called out of network. Right. Okay. Yeah, I don't want that. So what you got to do is what's the network and hope that they'll tell you the truth and that your hospital and your doctor is in network. Cause let me tell you, if you're out of network, there's two things that can happen. You yeah. can be out of luck. Sure. Because you're in your insurance policy may not have, a, uh, may not have out of network benefits. Right. And also out of network copay. So, for example, I chose a. Gr- I'm, I'm going to tell you this right now. I love my product, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Uh-huh. I have a high deductible that I self insure. So, what does that mean? I cover all the deductibles for all my people because it saves me more money than paying the deductible. Right. But also, I have a very broad network that includes Rex, that includes Wake, that includes Duke, and includes Viden. But I could have picked a plan that only went to one or the other. Sure. And it would have been cheaper, but I wouldn't have had the choice. Now, what they're doing is they're cutting deals. Okay. So the hospital will say, or the hospital network will say, mm-hmm. we'll charge you instead of 180% of Medicare reimbursement, we'll, we'll do 165 and for some reason, they think that's a good deal. Now, I'd like to know if they really save money that way mm-hmm. by restricting the network and restricting the uh, physicians. Because let me tell you something. Blue Cross Blue Shield loves me now. Yeah. They didn't. About seven years ago, 
I got a call and it said, we're watching you because you are 130% charges or reimbursements over what we would expect from a cardiologist. So if I, you know, if they expected $100 for care on a group of patients, I was $130. Okay. And they didn't like that. Well. Okay. And they said, you're spending too much money. Well, I got a call two years later. And I thought, uh-oh, Blue Cross on the phone. I'm in trouble. They're going to kick me out of the network, et cetera. And they said, we'd like to have a meeting. I said, okay. And they sat down and they said, how do you do it? I said, what do you mean? Spend your money? They said, no, you <laughs> save our money. And I said, what do you mean? Well, we, they got a new CEO and he started, he or she started looking at total cost. Okay, what does that mean? It means medicines mm-hmm. and hospitalization. Let me tell you, a $150 visit in my office instead of going to the ER. Right. The ER is minimum 2000 Sure. I just saved you 1800 bucks. Well, they looked at that. And they looked at the total patient cost that they expect mm-hmm. for this type of patient with this type of diagnosis code. Right. 53% of predictive. Now, what did that mean? That meant that I spent more time seeing the patient more frequently in the office right? and perhaps doing another test that another cardiologist wouldn't order. And yet, what did it do? It kept people out of the emergency room and kept people out of the hospital. Right. So now, I mean, I got a patient the other day and I said, oh, great. How did you find me to come see me? Blue Cross told me to. Really? Yeah. So the bottom line is, okay, um, you got to find a doctor who is in your network. Right. Okay. And you've got to find, therefore, an insurance plan that Mm -hmm. has your doctor in the network. Mm -hmm. Unless you're willing to pay that extra cost that's going to be there for an out-of-network physician. And, you know, heavens to Betsy, you didn't check and you don't have out-of-network benefits. Right. Okay. That's what that means. That means that you could go see somebody who's not in your insurance network, and make it, and it'll cost you more, but you can still do it. Right. I've got so many patients who come to see me, and it's Cigna or it's Blue Cross Blue Shield, and I'm not in their network. Now I will say this: the only one I'm not in network is a Cigna. There's certain Cigna plans that they just—I don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I can't get into Cigna now. That's because they're so locked in to one particular healthcare network and right. I can't get in. Okay. So I'm having a hard time understanding. All right. Just that. This is not, is not, the, not the first time this I has happened I will do tonight. the best I can, Dave. All right. Do most of your patients see you because you're a cardiologist for them? Are you their primary okay. physician? This is a tricky question and okay. I'm going to tell you. Uh, I am a cardiologist, but I am also an internal medicine physician. Now, what does that mean? You don't just go to heart school. Okay, so you go to medical school, and then you have to pick what you want to do. Now, suppose you decide you're going to be a nephrologist. You just love kidneys. I do, yeah. Okay? So you can't just go to kidney school, Bo. you got to do general internal medicine. What does that mean? you got to learn it all. Yeah. So you're an intern in internal medicine. It's your first year. Man, you treat everything. You're going to treat, you're going to treat kidney failure. You're going to treat chronic lung disease. Yeah. You're going to treat infectious disease. And, you know, I went to a place 
where internal medicine was the king. And that was the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine mm-hmm. and Hospital. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, I learned it all. And I yeah. learned it all very, very well. I mean, we would have rotations in cardiology. And man, I tell you, as a third-year resident, you had to know that stuff like a fellow. Yeah. And in infectious disease, I mean, I know those antibiotics, man, front to back. Yeah. And so when I went into cardiology uh, for the first 20 years, I did heart catheterizations and pacemakers and treated heart failure and got the heck out of the office. Yeah. Because I had to go to the hospital and do my surgeries. Sure. Well, what did I find out? I had a lot of repeat customers. Okay. Yeah. Because their cholesterol was out the wazoo and their sugar was not controlled and their blood pressure was not controlled. And the, the thing that we were taught as cardiologists were you don't want to get the GP or the internist mad at you by taking over what they do. Right. So if somebody says, Doc, my sugar's high, you go, oh, go back and see your primary care physician. Right. Well, when I stopped doing all these procedures and started spending all my time in the office, I realized that I have more time now. I'm not pressured to run out at 3 o'clock to go do those two, you know, pacemakers. Yeah. And I started treating it myself. And the reason why I did is there are all these new medicines that weren't being utilized. You know, we talked about it earlier, these diabetes medicines that prevent heart failure, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So if you're a diabetic you should and have heart disease, you should gravitate toward these new medicines. And I ticked off a lot of internal medicine physicians and a lot of, well, there aren't that many internal medicine people in Johns Hopkins, I mean, in Johnson County. They're right. mostly family physicians. Right. Um, and I ticked them off, you know. I even had one call me up and say, stop ordering these sleep studies. And I said, uh, well, they're all positive. They all have sleep apnea. Yeah. You're making me look bad. <laughs> uh, that's a true story. Oh. Okay? All yeah. right? So I began to realize that um, I was doing the wrong thing. I was thinking about myself and getting referrals. Yeah. Yeah, you know what's happened? Yeah. My new patient list is continually expanding. And what happens is they go to their primary care physician and they say, you need a cardiologist. Mm-hmm. And I'm sending it to Dr. XYZ. And they say, uh-uh, uh-uh. I uh, want to see Dr. Weefall. Yeah. He took care of my grandmom and saved her life. Now, that's an exaggeration. It's true that this happened. Sure. But since I decided to use my skill in internal medicine, my cardiology patients are healthier. Right. Their brains are healthier because they don't yeah. have the stroke. Yeah. Their kidneys are healthier because I corrected their diabetes and their high blood pressure. They haven't had another heart attack because their cholesterol is really low. Yes. So a lot of patients say, can I just come to see you? Now, when I was dependent upon referrals to do my procedures, I would say no. Mm -hmm. But now I say yes. And I'm pretty proud of the fact that my patients are doing very, very well. If you look at the the uh, what benchmarks that mm-hmm. Medicare looks at, the hemoglobin A1C, that is a long-term measure of sugar control. Yeah. Mine are great. If you look at blood pressure responses, mine are great. If you look at uh, the cholesterol numbers. Yeah. Yeah. So last year in my practice, I have 6,000 active patients. And one person had a heart attack. One. One. Wow. And uh, I, I'm i really careful. Now, the other measure is if you've had heart failure and you get admitted to the hospital, 
the big measure is do you get readmitted within 30 days? Sure. So some of the hospitals put together a heart failure team approach where they had a a nurse who would take over the heart failure patient Mm -hmm. and call them on the phone. Yeah. And talk to him about this and talk to him about that. I refuse to participate in that because mm. I don't want somebody else. I'm a doctor. Right. And they'd say, well, do you have time? Yes, I do have time. Mm-hmm. They're going to come in two days after their discharge and they're going to show me their medicines. I'm going to make sure they're on them. I'm going to teach them how to weigh themselves. I'm going to, you know, they're going to text me and call me and all this. They said, well, that's what we want to do. I said, that's what I want to do. Uh-huh. So there's a benchmark. Yeah. The readmission rate. And yeah. this team didn't meet the criteria, which was 9% readmission. So if you had 100 patients admitted with heart failure, then discharge, only nine should what we call bounce back sure. within 30 days. You know what mine was? I don't know. Zero percent. Nobody went back to the do- to the hospital. And the reason is I had them come in too much, quote unquote. Well, right. It- I mean, so I mean, I'd find out they'd be in that office two days after their discharge, yeah. and they're going to bring their pills. Yeah, you wouldn't believe how many are missing this and missing that. And so uh, then I bring them back the next week and yeah. weigh them, yeah. check their blood pressure, check their pills again, and then bring them back at you know twenty nine days. <laughs> yeah, and make sure that they weren't going to get readmitted as part of the reason to bring them back. But also, it's amazing what can happen. When there's frequent visits, and I don't when you were, when, when you were in college, okay, yeah. and you had yes. to study for math, a yes. math exam, did yes. you get it the first time around? No. Did you get it the second time around? No. I usually <laughs> had to get it the third time around. So what I generally say to a patient is, it's okay if you don't understand this right now. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. It's okay if you're still a little confused on your medicines. Yep. The third time around, you're going to get it. Okay? You're going to get it. And I'm really happy with the way I'm practicing now because I don't let anybody else make crucial decisions about the things that will prevent the heart from going bad. And I love it. And I think my patients like it too. So okay. internal medicine, think about it. So so the quick answer to my question is yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> Hey, 25, you're never, never going to get a simple answer from me. 25 or 30 minutes ago, I asked him a question. And then then I went for a cup of coffee. But thank you for explaining that. And the coffee's <laughs> going to help your heart. We taught you that. All right. Coming up, we finally are going to get to that story about honeybee venom. That's coming up next. And a hospital in North Carolina got dinged for surprise billing. That's coming up next on Heart Health Radio. What? Get better, stay healthy, spot medical misinformation, have a little fun, yeah. and enjoy some good conversation. Yeah, and uh, listen to a long-winded answer that could have been yes. I, I, I can't believe you complained about that answer. I just wanted to know whether people have to pay you pay a copay on the the upper level because uh, uh, oh, you're a cardiologist. Okay. Now, see, why didn't you just say that? I I see a when I see a specialist, I pay. I don't know what it is, forty or eighty dollars. I don't yeah. know what it is. 
I pay 30 bucks for the regular doctor. Right, and I charge them 30 Okay, thanks. Yeah. I got uh, the answer. That's all you wanted to know? Yeah, that was pretty much it. But didn't I teach you more than that? Sure. Uh, I know you, what an umbilicus even, were is. Were you even listening to what I had to say? Were you saying, come on, get on with it, come on. I yeah. just want to know this. No, you, I got, you never asked me that. We're shouting out Cornelia Lee. Yeah. Who is she? She's the sweetest woman. Yeah. She is so nice. So she came to see me concerned. Uh, she'd heard me on the radio show, mm. and she thought that my name was Dave Alexander. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> her father had died of a heart attack at age 55. Oh, yeah. Her brother, I think... Uh, had a uh, heart condition, and she was of the age of wondering whether, you know, she had a big concern, is this going to happen to me? Mm-hmm. And so she seemed healthy. I mean, you know, she walks, talks, does physical things without a problem. Okay. She has got great kids. They're all healthy. So we did a few things. Um, we did a stress test on her because she did have some shortness of breath. That was negative. We did an ultrasound on her heart because she had a little teeny weeny murmur that Mm -hmm. could have been something, and that was great. Mm -hmm. And then we did an ultrasound of the arteries to her brain, just like um, the collar. Right, uh, the carotid artery. artery. And there was no cholesterol buildup at all. Wow. So this means that her risk of dropping dead of a heart attack in the next five years is less than 1%. And her risk of a stroke in the next five years is less than 1%. And so what this this goes to show you is that genetics in one parent does not transmit to all of the kids. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. I asked her, I said, you look like your dad or you look like your mom? She looked like her mom. And her mom was, you know, uh, not a genarian. Yeah. Now, don't <laughs> take that as a scientific fact. Sure. But I would say anecdotally that if you have one parent that lives to 90 and sure. the other dies of a heart attack at 55, yeah. anecdotally, I have found almost a good correlation of who looks like who. Right. If you look like your dad that had the heart attack, a lot of times you do. If you look like your mom who lived to 95, even if you're a male who looks like their mom, you yeah. can do that, right? Yeah. It's just the, the the facial characteristics and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so family history is is a very important thing for heart disease, but it's not always transmitted to you. And that's what I think Cornelia is a good example of. Uh, not only is she a good example of a wonderful human being, mm-hmm. but she's a good example that genetics is not destiny. No. It's just not. Good. We got a story about surprise billing. Uh, you can go to WRAL.com, and they've got the whole story. Just Google WRAL and surprise billing. Surprise. Well, and, peop- you know, this happens when you don't know what your procedure is going to cost you. Yes. Or what your insurance is going to pay. And I'm right. telling you, it's hard to get a straight answer. And you can't get a straight answer. The worst is when you are really sick and you go to the emergency room. Right. And you go to the hospital you've always gone to, right? Mm-hmm. And you get taken care of well. The emergency room physician was a really great guy or a gal. Am I allowed to say gal? Nope. No. A woman, really, really wonderful woman. Yeah. Uh, and... You get better, and then you get home, 
And then this big fat envelope arrives about three weeks later, mm-hmm. and it's from the emergency physicians. And the bill is $3,500, pay now in cash, all of it. And you go, what? I have insurance. They weren't in your plan, and they weren't covered uh, under uh, any way, shape, or form. Right. That's called a surprise bill. Okay. Okay. So the the next thing is the anesthesiologist. You go to your surgeon, and he or she says you need your gallbladder out. Mm-hmm. So you go in, and he puts the thing in the belly button, takes out your gall bag. You go home that afternoon, and three weeks later, the anesthesiologist bill is three thousand dollars. And you're going, what? I have insurance. The anesthesiologist working at the same hospital as the surgeon is not in network. Now, that should not happen. And they're starting now to pass laws where there's no no surprise billing, okay? Right. That uh, I think it should be, unless you have documentation that you have told the patient that they are not, you are not a network and you will get this bill and you will have to pay it, that shouldn't happen. Yeah. And I think insurance companies have to start working uh, with uh, the physicians and the hospitals and the patients to get rid of the surprise billing because it's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing is balanced billing. So what does that mean? Okay, so I charge XYZ for an office visit, but mm-hmm. I accept 70% of that from, say, Blue Cross Blue Shield or Medicare. Mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to make you pay the rest. Okay, that's called a balanced bill. So if yeah. they pay me 100 you owe me 40 and I don't do that because I have a contract with Blue Cross Blue Shield. I have a contract with Medicare that I will get this money. Now, it's ridiculous. Why mm-hmm. do I charge more? It's just a tradition. So you can say you're getting a discount. <laughs> this is just nuts. Okay? Yeah. So my bill would be 255 for this. But hey, Blue Cross, you only have to pay 130 yeah. And Medicare, you only got to pay 80 So like they think they're getting a discount. I mean, it's ridiculous. But some doctors will make you pay up to the 255. That's called a balance bill. That's a surprise, too. Yeah. So always ask, are you going to balance bill me? Okay. Mm. And a lot of times they're doing it even though their contract says they can't. So, for example, I had a patient who got a CT scan at a certain hospital and insurance paid a thousand bucks. But the bill from the hospital was three thousand. They got a bill for two thousand. So I said, call your insurance company and see if that contract allowed balanced billing. And it didn't. Uh-huh. It didn't. So you got to be careful because you can get scammed even by people that you think you should trust. And that's your hospital and your physician. Yeah. And I'm a bad businessman. There's so much I don't collect. But I still do well. Yeah. You know? And um, I guess if... Medicare heard this. I'm required to collect it. Did you know that? I did not know. Yeah, so Medicare Part B pays outpatient 80% of whatever the, the Medicare is going to pay. Yeah. So they if they say they're going to pay 100 bucks for this office visit, they'll pay $80 and you got to pay 20 That's why so many people have what's called a secondary insurance. Mm-hmm. So you have Medicare and then a Blue Cross pan that pays that 20%. If I don't try to collect that 20%, I'm breaking the law. I yeah. am breaking the law. Because if I if I don't try to collect it, then I am giving a discount 
to one Medicare patient over another, and that's illegal. So I have to send bills, and I have to try to collect that 20%, even from somebody who can't afford to pay me that 20%. Well, you could you could. And put I could me, lose Medicare yeah. if, if I didn't send those bills and have follow-up calls. You put me on staff, and all I'll do all day is not collect. Right. I'll just make phone calls out. Yeah, Johnny, you owe 20 bucks Can't to pay Dr. It. Weefold. Can't pay it? Okay. Yep, thanks. Bye. All yeah. Right. Honeybee venom and cancer. We it's promised it all during very the show. Fascinating. What are they doing? You well, gotta... um, they're taking a certain type uh, of the... Of the honeybee. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Certain type of the honey. Yeah. And it's in the venom. Okay. And apparently it kills these uh, in, in tissue, in a la- tissue culture in a lab. It kills them all. It kills all the cancer cells. Yeah. And it's like no chemotherapy drug that's ever been before. And, and they're going to start testing it. And it's from Australia. And it's a certain type of Australian honeybee. And uh, it's pretty amazing, and I think um, that what it what it it's, it's called melatonin, M E L I T T I N. That's the chemical name of the compound in the honeybee venom. Yeah. And so I think it's a opening up a new pathway to look for different drugs uh, in nature. Right. And you know I'm a chemi- big believer in, a chem- in chemicals, whether they come from nature or they come from a test tube and whatever works works and i'm hoping that this is a new advance uh you can't go to your doctor now and ask for the honeybee venom but i just want to let you know a hundred percent cancer cell death in the experiments with this compound called melatonin from an australia honeybee all right well and we're excited we'll keep looking for that This is Heart Health Radio. See you next Saturday. Heart Health Radio is for information purposes only. Before taking any action, consult your doctor.